Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And if you're able to stand, let's go ahead and look at verse 4. Revelation 1, verse 4. Verse 4. All right, we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Now, once again, and before I even read, I need to remind you, we're really not doing a verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. We'd be here a long time, okay? Not that that wouldn't be beneficial. I want to give you an outline, and then we're going to zero in on the outline so that when you read through it, you will get a good grasp of how it reads and understanding. That I know that, that has helped me. Uh, tremendously when I learn an outline and then I can see it. I can actually see it uh, in the reading. It opens things up. So that's what we're going to do. I, I Eventually, uh, next few weeks, I, I do plan on covering the seven churches in a little bit more detail because there's just so much in those churches. But tonight, we're going to do an overview of the seven churches, okay? So here we go, verse uh, 4 through verse 8. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood." And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I can hear my father-in-law hollering amen at this. I just can. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. The book of Revelation is primarily about Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what we need to understand. But there are aspects there of history that take place here that the Lord wants us to learn some things about, so... We're going to zero in on the seven churches here this evening. Lord, may you bless the service and the teaching of your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, Lord God, that uh, they are counsel, they are promises, and they are prophecies. And Lord God in heaven, we ask that you'd open our eyes tonight, that we would behold wonderful things from your holy word. Bless the service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, that sounds good. You ought to sing a special. Lightning bolt. <laughs> All right. Well, if you've got your uh, handy-dandy outline with you, it's a front and back, so we're going to kind of jump right into this. First of all, I want you to notice John's description of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, prior to the revelation, John saw Jesus as the Lamb of God, meek and lonely, uh, very approachable, and and uh, as our he had come to be our substitute, to be the sacrifice. 
And so he saw him as very merciful and very patient. But now he's seeing the Lord Jesus in a different light. He saw the Lord in his humanity, glimpses of his deity. But now he sees the Lord Jesus in his almightiness. He is not just uh, the Son of God. He is God. We need to understand that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are equal in being God. And so the very reading here, verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. That refers to his existence. Here's a a thought to ponder that might blow your brain, so don't think about it too long. But that, that is his existence, and that is his dwelling place. God lives in past, present, and future. Oh, that's beyond me. All I know is I'm glad God knows more than I, and he still loves me. I'm glad I'm part of this verse, uh, verse uh, 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm glad I get to be in that crowd, aren't you? That's encouraging. Because if you're not in that crowd, it's going to be an uncomfortable time going through the, through the book of Revelation. And so we find that phrase, Alpha and Omega, it's mentioned three different times here. And so uh, there's, there's an emphasis on this uh, of his existence, of his dwelling place. But we notice it's, there's a direct purpose. John receives this, and he has the responsibility now to write a specific message to seven different churches. Actually, seven specific messages to seven specific churches. And so... The Word of God interprets itself. And so we can look at uh, chapter 1, verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. I'd love to be able to go through every detail of, the, of chapter 1, but I, for time's sake. Uh, look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden sticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the two little blanks you have there. The first one, the word angels, there's a line next to that. The word angel means minister. It's not an individual with wings floating around ready to... No, no, it literally means minister here. Each church had a minister to deliver this message and read this letter to that church. He looks at the church as a candlestick. And a candlestick must be lit. A city that is set on a hill is what he refers to the church as. And so, in chapters 2 and chapter 3, we have the actual letters. The actual letters. We go into chapter 2. I'm going to move fairly fast because I want to open it up for questions and Uh, We will make some emphasis on certain areas. 
In chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we have the church of Ephesus. And to me, I wrote down what I thought was the key statement. This is uh, adjustable for certain. But as we go through these, I believe that you would agree, at least on the most part. Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 2 The Lord Jesus says to the Ephesians, after he's commended them, he's complimented them in their works. He's complimented them in their stand. But then he says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Just a quick truth on that, and I'll emphasize it again. It's possible for you to go through the motions of church work and Christianity and not have a love for God. It is very possible. And maybe many of you could say, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. And when that happens, that can be dangerous because it doesn't take long to where we just get cold, not just toward the Lord, but to the Lord's work. It's the first step of slipping away. Okay, it starts in the heart. You can live with somebody and not show them love. Hello? You can live with somebody. They can, you can be married to somebody and just be two people dwelling in the house going through the motions with no love. Love is something that needs to be cultivated. Love is something that needs to be invested in. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And where there is a lack of love, there's a lack of investment. Hello? So, in referring to the church of Ephesus, they left their first love. The church of Smyrna. The church of Smyrna is one of two churches in the seven churches that there is nothing uh, condemning about them. There's no reproof, no rebuke toward this church. Later on, I will let you know that I believe these represent time periods as well. That's just my opinion, and I believe I can prove it, but I'm not going to argue with anybody about it. In verse... uh, Let's read verse 8 through 11. There's just four verses here. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are, are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall, be not, shall not be hurt of the second death. A few things I want to point out here. The church of Smyrna was a suffering church. They were a church that they were serving, but it is, they're going through a time of tribulation right now. Uh, I believe the key statement in, in that, with, to that church is in verse 10. The things, uh, 
fear not, none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Now, there's a couple things I don't think I wrote down that are, if you read the seven churches slowly and carefully, you're going to find that the Lord Jesus reveals himself distinctively different to each church. To each church, he reveals himself distinctively different. Real quickly, you go back to the Ephesian church. He says, you've left your first love. But how does he reveal himself? He said, look at, look at verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the what? In the midst. He lets that church know that you've left your first love, but I haven't left you. I've been right here. The fact that you don't love me is not because I'm not present. The fact that you don't love me, is, love me is not because I'm not available. The fact that you don't love me is not because I don't love you. He loves us. It's because some decisions they made and their hearts are beginning to drift. We go into Smyrna. The church is serving, but they're suffering. It's a difficult day to be a Christian at the church of Smyrna. And in Smyrna, he says, I know thy work. No. Uh, he says to the church at Smyrna, again, look at verse 8. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now, wouldn't that be reassuring to somebody who's getting ready to suffer martyrdom? I got four of you. Yeah. Well, it would be. He conquered death in the grave. And then we come to the church of Pergamos. <coughs> There's more to say about the church of Pergamos and the church of Thyatira than any of the other churches. I believe the church is starting to shift as, as far as uh, overall. But anyways, verse 12, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write these things, saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Ah, he's drawing a line. Notice in verse 14, well, let me read verse... I'm going to cover this antipathist, this martyr that's mentioned later. Verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Look at verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. There are two things to be mentioned, and you're going to find the term Nicolaitans mentioned a few times throughout the seven churches. But let me refer, make reference to Balaam. We learn about Balaam in Numbers chapter 21 and 22, or 22 and 23. We learn about Balaam. Balaam is the guy that was able to get Israel and Moab to compromise and intermarry. And as a result, idolatry came in, and God judged, God judged Israel because of that. Balaam was the guy that Moab, or the king of Moab, was willing to pay money to, to curse Israel. Just in case you don't know the story, I think most of you do. Balaam was the guy we could say, there, there are three things mentioned of Balaam. The way of Balaam, Balaam, the error of Balaam, and the doctrine of Balaam. Now, Balaam was a man who... 
it appears sold out for money. He let greed be his guide, even though he knew God. That actually sounded pretty good. Uh, Many people who know God don't serve God. And Balaam was that guy who followed the money. All right. Well, in this church, and I believe in this time period, something takes place there. Uh, The leadership is starting to sell out. They're selling out their doctrine. I mean, hey, if you look at these as time periods, they just went through suffering, and wow, why suffer when we can, we can make a little money out of this and just forfeit, compromise a little bit. But every degree of compromise dims the light, dims the light till it's dark. And so uh, Pergamus uh, has, has uh, received the doctrine of Balaam, And then it says they also have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I never uh, put this together until I read Dr. DeHaan's uh, study on it. Dr. DeHaan said that uh, the Nicolaitans were the result, and I don't know where he got his history, but he tied it together with Acts chapter 6. Huh? Flip over to Acts chapter 6 for a moment. Acts chapter 6. Don't lose your spot. In Acts chapter 6, i got to move quickly. You find uh, the deacons. You find that uh, this is where they implemented deacons to help out with the widows and the daily ministration. Uh, look at verse Verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, we know what he did, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Dr. Dahan said Nicholas of Antioch began to usurp authority. I don't know. It's an assumption based on where would they get the name. The word Nicolaitan, Nicolaitan means to conquer the laity. To conquer the laity. It means to set up authority in the church that is supposedly more important than the laity. Supposedly make calls the shots and everything. And the Nicolette, well, there are some religions like that. One particular religion's got one fellow that's over everything, and if he says disagrees with Scripture, we're supposed to believe that or that. They're supposed to believe that. Under him, they got this crowd called cardinals and then bishops and then priests. They've got this, this hierarchy. And they've even got political clout. You might know who they are. They, that, that's Nicolaitism. Okay? That's what that is. 
I realize in today's America, we don't see it the way they saw it back in the Middle Ages. Those people had power, and they were ruthless. Well, this starts arriving here in, in the Church of Pergamos. They have set up this authoritarian, so it's actually, wow, it's good business. You get in that position, and you, you can be all right. Well, the Lord is rebuking this. Notice what he says. He says, which thing I hate. Jesus hates that. I didn't make the emphasis on Nicolaitism here. I made it on Balaam, but uh, they both need to be mentioned. We need to move on to Thyatira. Thyatira. The key statement there, thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. That woman Jezebel. I'm going to go ahead and fill in the blanks because I'm, i got to get down to the next half of the page. Uh, Sardis, the key statement there is strengthen the things which remain. Strengthen the things which remain. And then Philadelphia. Well, that didn't print right. I've got Philadelphia on one side, and then it's on the other. The key statement, I have set before thee an open door. So most of these, you can find them right in the reading, the answer. And then Laodicea, the key statement, thou art lukewarm. I mentioned in Sunday school this morning that uh, the idea of the lukewarm there, uh, in the old days, and they may still do it, lukewarm water would induce vomiting if you were sick. Now, I've heard preachers say, or <laughs> preach, the text a little bit different than it, really in a way that didn't make sense to me. See, the Lord says to the Laodiceans, I would that you were hot or cold. That's what the Lord says. I would that you were hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And I've heard preachers say, well, God wishes that we were on fire for him or absolutely clear about the world rather than be in the middle and straddle the fence. Well, that's baloney. That doesn't make sense. There's no place in Scripture that says God wants us to be in the world. If he would that we would be hot or cold, then he, both of them are acceptable. You know why? Because cold water is refreshing at times, just as hot water can be refreshing. Hot tea, hot drinks can be refreshing. Everybody with me there? Okay, so we got that cleared up. So the next time you hear a preacher say something like that, just kind of nod your head and say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But be nice, pray, and get something else out of it. All right. Let me give you some facts concerning these churches. Some facts concerning these churches. They were literal local churches. Just like Lighthouse Baptist is a church here in Lebanon, Indiana, there was a church of Ephesus. There was a church of Smyrna, a church of Pergamos, a church of Thyatira, a church of Sardis, a church of Philadelphia, and a church of Laodicea, an assembly of believers. There was a literal assembly. They, we need to understand that. Number two, they were distinctive in their practices and behavior, uh, circumstances. There are distinctiveness about all of them. They were distinctive in their practice and circumstances. Number three, Jesus was in the midst of them all. And if you're really thinking, you might be saying, well, 
how come he's knocking on the door of the layout of sins? Well, it's a good question, so I have to go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 13, Jesus is in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. And so, <clears throat> I believe as I go on here, I can explain this. Number four, underneath facts concerning these churches. In each church, each letter, he says something similar. He says, I know thy works. That's very encouraging if you're doing what you ought to be doing. Hello? That, that's very encouraging because the reality is not everybody knows your works. And sometimes we can wonder, man, I'm going through this, going through this. Nobody ever under, sees me. I, I'm picking up garbage in the bathroom. People, and nobody knows. Well, we know you're doing it for the Lord, and that's why it doesn't bother you. But it's very important for you to understand, he knows your works. Even if you don't get a pat on the back, he knows your works. It's also important for us to understand, if we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, he knows our works. If we've got the Grand Central Gossip Hotline going, he knows our works. Okay. All right. So, he says this in every church. He that hath an ear to hear what the Spirit saith. To every letter, that's in every letter. He's calling out those who have a spiritual ear. And then he says this in every church, him that overcometh, him that overcometh. Has it, have any of you ever read that and thought, what exactly does that mean? Well, I have. I remember reading it thinking, well, I know I'm saved by grace, but it seems like, it seems like now I've got to persevere if I'm going to be saved. I've got to endure. Am I the only one that's ever thought that in my reading? Anybody else ever see, read that and see? Okay, a few of you nodding your head. Well, <clears throat> turn over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God, it's just a couple pages to your left, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, when we go back to the seven churches and we read, whosoever overcometh, it is important for you and I, the reader, to understand just like in the days of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they were not all believers. According to Exodus chapter 12, verse 28, the, or 38, the Bible tells us when they came out, a mixed multitude came out. Well, that hasn't changed. When you have an assembly of believers, as the assembly gets larger, there's a very good possibility that there are unbelievers in the house. And in some cases, I think in some denominations, that'd be the majority. It's just my opinion. That'd be the majority. They're unsaved if they believe that you've got to do works to get saved. Hello? And so, as these letters are given to the church, 
He's calling those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. And those who overcome are those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll cover that more extensively as we go through each church, but there's a blessing to the person who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you don't work for it, and you're not the one responsible to hold on to it and not lose it. Because that's like work salvation if it's up to you. We are saved by grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. He's got us. If we're saved, it's because he saved us. We're in his hands. He's in the Father's hand. No man can pluck us out of, our hand, out of his hand. Psalm 37 is a wonderful Old Testament verse about a New Testament doctrine. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. A good man can fall? Yeah, apparently. What makes you good? Grace. Not my righteousness, not your righteousness. So it's important to understand, as Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30, he talked about the wheats and the tares. He said, let them grow together. The day will come, they'll be separated. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand this? It's possible, and it's biblical. The Bible tells us there's going to be a day when many come and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Matthew 7, 21. What's that all about? That's tares among the wheat. That's what that's about. Most important thing you and I need to know is we're saved. Our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand that. That's salvation. Now let me give you my personal opinions. We're going to wrap this thing up because we're going to have the Lord's Supper. I, personal opinions about these churches. I said in type, they are still around today. I didn't say it. I'm saying it now. In type, all seven of these churches are still around today. If we traveled the world over, we would find a church that would be similar to Ephesus. If we traveled the world over and looked at a Christian churches, we would find a church. That may not be Baptist. It may not be called Baptist. Baptist doesn't make us uh, uh, the right kind of church. I mean, as far as, oh, well, just because I got that name. Just like me being American doesn't make me a real American. Living in America, you know. Oh, I, that's a whole other story as to why I choose to be a Baptist. There's a history behind that. But the reality is this. If we travel the world over, we'd see a church that, that's suffering, Smyrna, probably in China, probably in Russia. If we travel the world over, we'd see a church, Pergamos. By the way, the word Pergamos means married, a church that's married to the world, to the government. Hello. You travel the world over, you're going to see a Thyatira church that's nothing but about money and the control and power. If you travel in, in Jezebel, oh, she gets in that's a whole, We're going to get into that as we get into Thyatira. But if you travel the world over, you're going to see a Sardis church. There's some people serving that are alive, but the bulk of that ministry is dying. If you travel the world over, you're going to find a church with an open door. The opportunities galore. People are getting saved. Lives are being changed. 
And if you travel the world over, it wouldn't go too far. You don't have to go too far. You'll see a Laodicean church. So not only were these literal churches of the day, but they're churches today, today. And they may not go by Ephesus, and they may not go by Smyrna, but they have the same ingredients, and they need the letter. And then third, we need to remember this. Or Wait a minute. I said uh, first in type, they are still around today. Else, why would the letters be necessary? Second, they represent time periods of the church. They really do. Looking back on church history, is not, it is not difficult to see them emphasized in certain time periods. From Ephesus to Laodicea. I love history. I love history. I'm very familiar with the Dark Ages. They call it the Dark Ages because they didn't have the printing press. You know what the printing press brought about? The light of the Word of God. You know who ruled in the Dark Ages? People with power, people with money, people who could control people's minds, whether it was superstition or religion or a combination of both. Yeah, pay me some money and I'll pray for your, pray for your brother who's in purgatory. Yeah, put this money in here and we can get the... And not, they did nothing but become wealthier, 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 wealthier. I don't need to mention their names. I will, eventually. But there's a denomination today that's as wealthy as some, some of the countries in this world. They, they're that wealthy. It's that wealthy, I should say. We need to remember that the Revelation is a prophetical book pointing us to the end of times on this earth. That is the reason why I believe they do represent time periods. And so, again, I'm not going to argue with someone who disagrees. We can be brothers, and we can go win people to Christ. But since I'm teaching, that's why I'm going to give you my opinion, too. But I will let you know it's opinion. All right. I want to do this. Got a couple minutes. Uh, we'll do five minutes here if there's any questions. Are there any questions? Any questions? All right. Could be a long night if there were. Okay, let's go ahead. We're going to take up the Lord's Supper at this time. We'll have the fellows come forward.